take care of Brother Devin back there so he can take care of me. Y'all open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Some weeks ago, uh, we began reading on, on Sunday night, and I got behind on some of the fundamental doctrines of Unity Missionary Baptist Church. And today, uh, our message reflects the second uh, of those, that we believe in the triune God out of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. This is something that uh, maybe gets uh, difficult in the mind of believers. For sure, it's something that's confusing to those that don't know Jesus as their personal Savior. But we believe, uh, well, I was talking to a, a guy that was a Muslim here not long ago. And he said, uh, David, we believe in one God. And I said, we do too. And he says, uh, no, you don't believe in one God. And I said, yes, I do. And he says, but you, uh, you believe in, in Jesus, and I said, and you do too. Because, you know, in the Koran, you know, it speaks of Jesus. But they think of Jesus as a prophet only, as a good man, as a teacher, as a rabbi. But they don't believe in him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and thus God. He says, David, we believe in one God. I said, we do too. He says, but you believe in a spirit. And I said, yes, he's God. And you know, we believe also in a father who sent his only begotten son. So that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So we believe in one God. We believe in a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but they are one God. We do not believe in a multiplicity of gods. We, we do not believe that, there are, uh, that we are polytheistic, that there is more than one God. We believe in a creator God and a God who gave himself for our salvation, and that is the gospel good news. In Ephesians chapter 2, as we read that chapter this morning, we'll see two memories that we should all have that will color your life. Three memories, two memories that will color your life. Beginning in verse number one, it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Oh, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, that's made alive, right? Together with Christ, by grace, you are saved. And he has raised us up together. 
and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Look at this next phrase real careful with me having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two, or twain, one new man, and so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and he preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Isn't that just a great passage of Scripture? It just makes my heart happy. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we just thank you so much for being our God. We thank you that uh, we can worship you in spirit and truth, We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we just thank you, Lord, that even when we don't know the things to say and the things to pray, even when we speak words like now that are just inadequate to describe your glory, that are inadequate to describe your holiness, that the Holy Spirit just utters those things that need to be said in front of your throne. And so we just thank you that you're our Father. We thank you that you're involved in our life each and every day. We thank you for the grace by which we're saved. We thank you that you gave us a way to be reconciled back to you. And Lord, when we look back in horror at the time of our death experience, we just realize, Lord, that we were nothing without you, that we were unable to, to respond to you in a way that was appropriate. We just, uh, we just know, Lord, the people that we wore, the creatures that we wore. And so we thank you that through Jesus you've reconciled us back to you. And we love you so much for that. We thank you that you loved us before we loved you. And uh, we come before you today just with happy hearts because you've been a great Savior to us. And Lord, as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling each week, we pray that you'd open our hearts to you and to the ministry that you have for us in our life. And Lord, we just ask that you'd help us not to be the people we were before you made us alive, 
and that you'd let us ever be witness for us, witnesses for you of your reconciliation. Lord, I pray over each and every family uh, in this congregation. I just pray over the troubles that each uh, and every one has. And Lord, uh, we know they're light afflictions, but they don't feel that way. And so we just place them before you and we ask you to take on the yoke of our burdens and we just pray that you'd help us to be happy people for you here, that you'd help us to make wise decisions about the life you want us to lead. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed that uh, our Muslim friends, even some of the other friends that we have in various denominations, that they seem to pray a lot more than we do publicly? You know, I was uh, I was up in New York, oh, probably 10, 15 years ago. I was passing through there on business going up to Pennsylvania. And I remember that uh, there was an event that happened there that caused uh, quite a stir around the country. There was a, a group of our, our Muslim friends who uh, literally shut down an intersection because uh, they went out together, laid down the prayer mats, and at the time of appointed prayer, they looked towards Mecca and they prayed. There was a lot of outrage in Christian circles in that particular point in time because this had occurred. I think people were more mad because the traffic was stopped than because, you know, there were people praying in the streets. Uh, you know, I dream of a time when there will be people in the United States that pray in the streets. But I pray of a time when they pray to our Lord God Almighty, when they, when they pray to that one that, that we uh, know is one, when they, when they don't pray to Allah in the streets, but they cry out to Almighty God about the condition of our country and the condition of their individual lives. Because on that particular day, I wasn't outraged that the street was down. I wasn't even outraged that they were praying because at least they were religious people. And there's lots in our society today that, that you know, would just be lawless. And it's a shame when in our societies in little towns like, like Richwood and Alvin and Liverpool and Brazoria that, you know, we have to lock our doors at night. And, and that there is much that, that is not sane or right or proper in our world today. And, and at least, you know, those guys were down on their knees and they were, were reverent. But, but I remember when I saw that event, that what happened in my heart was a, a breaking because I knew that they were on the street and they were on their face. But the reality is, is that they were still dead. That, that their prayer came out of their mouth and it went no further than their lips. It, it may have been heard by the men that were around them, but it was not heard by Almighty God. Their shawls that were on the ground, like many, were of different colors and had different designs. Uh, like the Jews who also used the prayer shawls, you remember that they are, they are somewhat elegant in nature. 
and there's all of this color, but, you know, Jesus even talked in the New Testament that the Pharisees whitewashed their tombs. But these individuals were trying to pray to something supernatural, and yet they were still dead in their life. This particular passage of Scripture, as we look at the two memories that should, should color our life, not, not, not color our, our prayer shawls or, or our prayer clothing, but our whole life. As we look at those two memories, it, it, it says in verse number 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He, he describes a, a people that were dead prior to coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And he says, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And the first memory that, that we have to have if we are going to color our life for Christ is we have to have a memory of our death experience. You see, this passage of Scripture describes a time and a people that we as Christians wore. Our lost friends are still there. It was a time when we didn't care to do what Jesus asked us to do. It was a time when, in my case, I had to take medication because of of the depression in my life. It was a time of of hopelessness. It it was a time that was dark. It was an angry time in my life. And each one of you, if you really will go back, some of you further back than others, you'll remember a time before Jesus saved you where you were not alive. And that is your death experience brother joe do you know that i will never die i will never ever die now becky will look at my casket now i hope she doesn't do like you know i described that story to several of you in my first you know funeral where you know she comes running down to the casket and and makes a big scene i hope she'll she won't make a big scene but she will look in my funeral at my lifeless body And in that moment that she's looking, I'm going to be singing praises in heaven to the one I love the most. The scripture talks to us about a time when we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord. And I will never, ever again experience a life of death. Y'all may see my flesh. Y'all may put it into the ground. Y'all may cry over it. You you may mourn over it. I I hope you'll miss me. You might not, but I hope so. But I will never see death ever. The death was my life before Jesus. My death was my life before grace. My death was my life before hope. Folks, we watch. People come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And they change. 
I would be in business somewhere doing something else. But for the fact that I have watched people come to Jesus and their lives and their families were just absolutely horrible. And the world says, well, there's no hope for them. They will always be like that. There is no reason that they will ever live a better life. But I've watched them get on their knees at an altar like these, go down on their knees and ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins, have admitted what kind of person they are in their dead experience. I've seen the tears roll roll down their, their face as they cried out to an almighty God to a creator God, to a saving God, to a living God. Isn't it amazing to you that how many of our friends that don't know Jesus, that don't believe in Jesus as their personal Savior, they worship in religions that have dead prophets, that have dead entities, that have dead idols, and yet we serve a living Savior able to give life and hope able to reproduce in this body that is dying something that is beautiful again. And I've watched them call out, confess their sins, ask Jesus into their heart. I've watched them over the course of weeks and months as even the very look in their eyes changes. I've watched their countenance turn soft I've watched them start treating their kids decently with order and with discipline. I've seen the fights in their house that were just causing so much uproar during their death experience turn to productive, useful places. I've watched their kids grow up in Sunday school, come out of the nursery, quote Bible verses, And I look back on their death experience, and even mine, and I go, how'd that happen? It happened because their life was colored by the memory of their death. I have a friend, and he wouldn't mind me telling you. He'll come down here to visit us sometime, I'm sure. His name's Richard. He's one of my best friends. Richard was a drug pusher. He was a bad guy. But yesterday, Richard was at Victor Road for my graduation party. And with his life colored by the experience of his death, he bear hugged me. And he said, I love you. And we're not talking, you know, and I love you that's weird between men, right? We're talking, you know, a real love between men who love God, who know a Savior, who were saved by grace, who know that they shouldn't have ever been anything but the dead men that we wore. But Jesus loved us, and we love him too. So the second memory, the second memory that we should remember that should color our lives. Well, well, before we go there, 
Uh, stay right there for me, Brother Devin. A couple of things that I want you to put in your notes so that I don't forget. When we talk in this passage of Scripture, when we say dead, and we go into the original language and we look at that word, it means that we are ineffective and we are unable to respond. Sin and trespasses have always been the cause of people being ineffective and unable to respond. It's important that you write this down because if you're looking at the color of your life right now and you are finding your ministry to be ineffective, okay? If you are finding that you are not producing the fruit that you desire to, whether that is in your children's life, whether that is in the lives of the disciples that God has given you, remember that each of us typically have six individuals in our life that we are impacting and influencing at various levels of spiritual maturity. And if you look at those individuals that God has placed into your life and you are not being affected, you might look for some sin and trespass. There might be some of this death that's still hanging on in your life and in your ministry. The other thing that I want you to write down in your notes, the other thing that I want you to put there, look at verse number 6 real quickly. God has raised us up together and has made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's some parentheses in the King James Version in verse number 5. By grace you're saved. But as we go into the second memory, which is the memory of your reconciliation, I want you to, to take quick note of the fact that our dead experience happens in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, from a change of death to reconciliation. It says in this passage of Scripture that He raised us up, and the sense here is now. As far as God is concerned, you are spiritually already in high places, and you ought to act like it. We, we do not have to be dead anymore. We are not bound in sin. The old things that held us down are no longer binding upon us. Jesus took that away from us. And because we are raised up with Him, it is in God's eyes as if we are already there. We will never die. Now those that don't accept the message, those that, that we fail to tell, those that are lost, they are not in heavenly places. They are at odds with Almighty God already. To them, He is a God of wrath. He is one that they ought to be scared of because He is just. And there is no mediator between them and Almighty God. And so when their sinful life, when their sinful creature comes into contact with Holy Almighty God, there is only consuming fire. Doesn't the scripture tell us that? Our God is a consuming fire. And I wrestled with that scripture over and over and over again until I realized that I'm not consumed by the fire because I'm covered by the blood. But folks, it's not like that for many. And there's plenty of places here at Unity for them to sit under the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we ought not to simply bring 
our lost friends to church, one of the most ineffective, dead ideas for church growth is that we can go out and we can invite people to church because we're concerned about their souls. The reality is, is that the second memory, the memory of our reconciliation, if you'll go ahead and flip that slide for me, Brother Devin, the memory of your reconciliation is the most effective tool for church growth and evangelism. Now, there are five different places that people are in their lives. We'll talk about them in more detail in another time, but I want you to just jot them down quickly for me on your notes this morning. Some people are out there in the crowd. They care nothing about God. They care nothing about God's church. We don't know them. They don't know us. And both of us are committed to keeping it that way. They are the community out there that has no face, that has no name. They belong in a town. They belong in a city. They are in the cars that drive up and down the street. But we have no knowledge of their personal situation. And it's all fine and dandy to use this term community when we're talking community service, when we're talking community drainage. That's fine. But we find those people out there and we have no impact on them because we don't know them and they don't know us. And we have to assume that they don't know Jesus as their personal Savior. There's a second kind of person. Me and Becky know lots of those. I'm sure that you do too. They're the people on the fringes of our ministry. They are the people that are on the fringes of our life. We know their names. We know of them. Sister Pat and I were talking about a few of them today. She knows them, but I don't know them. And they are part of the crowd of our ministry. It's not like they're faceless. It's not like they don't exist. It's not like we don't know them, right? Uh, An example of this, Brother Buster, for me right now, not for you perhaps, but for me right now, might be the family down the street from us on the other side, right? And they are in my crowd right now. And I don't know much about their life. I don't know whether they know Jesus. I'm not in a position to disciple them. But the only thing that will draw a relationship with a person in the crowd into our congregation, which is the third kind of person that's out there, is the memory of our reconciliation. Those folks will only come to us as we tell them about our life in Christ. You know, when we sit down at the table with somebody, we ought to say things about Jesus, right? You, you ought to just toss that carrot out there every time you're with a person with a person that is a a stranger or just coming into your crowd or even that just came into our congregation. It's it's almost like like fishing, right? Just throw that bait, right? Just, I love Jesus. Okay, he just was weird. Jesus works in my life. Did you know that? Becky and I doubt it. That's how this conversation goes. You know, I remember when I, before I met Jesus. Do you have these conversations? 
Do you remember your reconciliation? Do you share your reconciliation with others? Are you just dead silent as you minister? Are you ineffective? Or do you have a memory of your reconciliation? And is it active out in our community and in our crowd, among our congregation? It is in the congregation, right? When they are involved with us close enough that when they get into trouble, they pour their hearts out to us. It is in our congregation that we become effective in sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some of us that because of the memory of our reconciliation, we ought to be more committed than we are. I want you to look at this passage with me just a second more. I won't keep you much longer. Look at verse number 13 with me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, and so make him peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. At this particular point in Christian history, the church was primarily made of a Jews. And the gospel was just going out into all the world. It has continued to go out into all of the world since that time. And every time that God's people scatter out into the world as a church to carry out the Great Commission, another baby's born and another person dies. During the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, There were less than a billion people on the planet. And today there are around 7.7 billion people on the planet. In 1940-something, there were a handful, count them on one hand, missionaries that went out from American Baptist Association churches into places like Japan, China, Today in 2018, when you go out today, down the hallway right there, I want you to look to your right. And on the wall, you'll see the missionaries that we as a congregation, a committed congregation, committed is the fourth spiritual circle. We support those guys out there. And when you walk by that poster that's hanging in the wall or in the hall today. I want you to just estimate 
how many missionaries from our association are on that poster? And then I want you to remember that we have to be committed because there are 7 billion people on the planet. Mission poster, 7 billion people. Mission poster, 7 billion people. The fifth kind of person that remembers their own reconciliation and makes an impact for Jesus are what are called core in a church. Core individuals are not only committed, they're not only part of the congregation, they're no longer part of the crowd or the community, but they are the only people inside a local church that evangelize other people. Right now, even if we are among the best, and I feel like we are, there is only a handful of us that in the past week honestly spoke of Jesus and his saving grace to one who does not know him as his personal Savior. Lots of us did lots of discipling, I'm sure, last week. But many times we fail to just talk about the very simple Saving grace of Jesus. The memory of our reconciliation doesn't leave any place for that. We have to be a people that are out there always. When was the last time that you sought out a new friend? When, when was the last time that you intentionally went out there and said, you know what, I know that one has got to be lost. His life evidences it. And shared the memory of your reconciliation with them. Maybe you're better at that than I am. I'm trying to get better at that. I want us as a congregation to get better at that. Today, we, we have people here that I haven't met, and you know where they're at in those spiritual circles. But folks, there's lots of them out there too that need Jesus. Brother Don, as we have an invitation this morning, if you've never come to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're here for some reason today. Come come down the aisle. Talk to me about what Jesus can do in your life, the, the hope that he can give you in your family. I, I just pray that you'd respond to him today. And if you know Jesus is your personal Savior, really look at the memory of your death. Remember the person that you wore before. Remember the reconciliation that you have in Jesus. And come forward this morning and recommit to sharing that with other people.